Yo, man, it's a lot of brothers out there flaking and perpetrating, but scared to kick reality. It's time to rock and roll. Blah, blah, blah. We exercise the demons to do it. This next verse goes out to the best fantasy football podcast in the world, the AudibleFootballGuys.com. Log in online to the best in the game. Football guys better be knowing a name. They don't care about a car and a gold chain. They in the fantasy football hall of fame. Listen to this, you'll be winning your league. Listen to this, you'll be stacking the cheese. Listen to this before drafting your team. It's the Audible. Everyone's living the dream. See so lambing and bloom. Denver and Pittsburgh, they up to the moon. Waldman is watching the tape in the room and then scouting the players to give his review. Underrated is a good chopper like Gene. Grandma is a good doctor. But I got a bad habit. I cuss when I flow. Sorry, Joe. Pop the popcorn. Pour the beer. Set your life. Up to crush your peers, pick your players, and have no fear, cause the best podcast in the world is here! Football's back! Football's back! Football's back! Fantasy football's back! Tonight is the night. It is June 18th. It is the Audible Live here at Cecil Lammy, Sigma Bloom, Matt Waldman, and Dr. Gene Bramble talking football and fantasy football with you. And uh, gentlemen, it's great to be back in the saddle tonight with you all. So, uh, and what a night to get to talk about football, Dr. Gene, because Debo Samuel's got a Jones fracture. Why is that so scary? Why does he say before surgery? Cause I don't believe surgery's yet happened, right? Today. Uh, okay. oh, it was today. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So before surgery is like, I'm going to be back in 10 weeks, but most people say three to four months. What's the deal here? Yeah. I'm not sure why we're here in 16 weeks. Um, I don't, you don't hear about that too, too much. I think, you know, during the season, Dr. Anderson is really aggressive with these cases and tries to get them back within six to eight weeks. And we've seen that time. And again, some players do better than others. Most players don't do all that well, but in the off season or when there's a revision procedure and this doesn't, I haven't been able to find any indication that he's had a similar injury in the past. And this is a revision surgery. They're usually looking at nine to 12 weeks, somewhere in that 10 to 12 week range. So I think what Debo himself said, 10 weeks is a reasonable expectation. Uh, 12 to 16 weeks sounds like three to four months. I don't, I don't know that I think four, four months is certainly within the range of possibility, but I don't, I don't know that that would be the target. I think 10 to 12 makes sense. 10 weeks would put him just the, the second to last week of the preseason. Um, you know, if he meets that goal and they bring him off the PUP list, which where you can expect him to start, I think at this point in training camp and he comes off, um, just before that third preseason game. Then I think, you know, they can get him reconditioned in time to be on the active roster for week one. I don't think you're going to see a full workload necessarily at that 12 week mark unless things are very smooth, but I don't think this is something that's going to bleed too long into the regular season. And I wouldn't expect them to start the season on the PUP list. Now I say three weeks into the, into the preseason and the third preseason game, but who knows what that's going to look like. I think the sweet spot there is we know that the regular season is due to start two weeks after that 10 week cutoff that he has. And if things start on time, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. I, I would tentatively expect him to be on the roster in week one, but maybe not getting the full workload. First, Gene, just as a quick aside, how, how do you feel about the fact that now in the year 2020, you know, Jones fracture. Like, oh, it's a Jones fracture. Yeah, well, that's going to be a problem because I mean, isn't it wild what has happened in the 15 or so years we've been doing this? Yeah, and I guess it's not quite that simple, right? We do see lots of players progress through vision surgeries. Um, you know, at the at the uh, sports medicine conference I was at last spring, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, what role footwear has to play in this. Is there some biologic issue that we'll find out over time that some players are? Um, Anderson's thought right now is it doesn't really make any difference when you send them back. 
if they're going to refracture, they're going to refracture. And it's really hard right now to predict who may. And he's found some things that he can do successfully to make that a little bit less likely to happen. But, um, you know, the risk of re-injury, and we've seen that with tons of players. We kind of hinted at that last week when we were talking about um, the rookies that have just had Jones fracture surgery. Seems to be highest within the first couple of years, and it's a difficult prediction to make. So, uh, you know, if he is rehabbing without pain, they're going to let him return to the field. And 12 weeks is much better than six to eight weeks, which is what we see during the regular season. So I don't mean to minimize this necessarily, yeah. um, that he is at no risk of re-injury this year. Uh, but I think, you know, when, when these players have this procedure in the offseason, generally they do much better than trying to meet that let's get you back as soon as possible goal when it happens during the year. It's just um... – and that's all backwards looking data too. I know for ACLs, there was a time that we even doubted the player getting back to the same level of ability the following year. And then Adrian Peterson came along. Okay. Let's talk TJ Hawkinson injury on Thanksgiving. He was on the knee scooter. And then we did find in a Detroit news article that it, it said at the end of the season, he was still on the knee scooter. Then we have Daryl Bevel saying, this week, he's not quite 100% yet. We don't know whether there was surgery. How can we fill in this blank? I don't think we can fill it in too very well. I don't think the knee scooter bothers me all that much. We knew shortly after the injury, and that was mid-December, that it was a significant one. We weren't expecting to see him back toward the end of the season at all. So for him to be non-weight-bearing three weeks in doesn't necessarily mean he had surgery. Um, we knew he had sort of a higher grade high ankle injury anyway. Uh, it's certainly possible that he had surgery. I don't know what to make of what Bevel said about he's not quite 100% yet. Um, you know, all through this offseason, teams have really not been able to see what's going on with their players. Uh, they haven't been able to make sure that they're allowed to progress a little bit further in rehab. So he could be further along than we suspect. Or it could have been that he had surgery and we're looking at, you know, four to six months into that surgical procedures as we've seen with ankle injuries. Sometimes it takes that amount of time for recovery. So, um, you know, we kind of hinted at this a little bit last week, but you add Hawkinson to the list of players that until these guys get into the facilities, be examined by their teams and they make decisions on PUP or non-PUP, then I don't know how much we really know about these players that may or may not have had off-season procedures. So I wouldn't worry too much about him. There wasn't a ton of red flags other than may not be 100% yet. That would set some alarm bells in your mind. Um, but those, we may have all that passes by without too much concern if he is ready to go on the active roster come the end of July. So, uh, Gene, you know, we've talked about Tua Tungvaloa in the past, um, but I think that ankle surgery that he had that gets him back on the field so quickly at Alabama has been kind of a, a fun topic, and I'd love for us to revisit it again as we've gotten a little further into the spring and into the summer now and, and discuss with us, you know, about that new surgery, what your thoughts are about it and what you've read and, you know, what you think the prospects are, you know, in the future. And I, and I would love to see like a, I, I'd love to see jeans like as Nate brought up disc golf talk, you know, we could get like maybe a serrated <laughs> disc and we could see how much inches we could take off of Cecil's hair, like with, with the serrated disc. <laughs> tonight because of the suavecito. I was on Broncos TV earlier today. <laughs> you just couldn't wait to get that little dig in, could you? <laughs> Uh, hey, uh, mine's down. To, mine's down past my shoulders. I look like a. I look like an old man hippie at this point. So yeah, it's, I, I've all tucked in my hair. I can't say anything because I just put the clipper on too, and from mouth to back of the head, it's all the same. So, <laughs> <laughs> what it is. two? Is it two, two or three? 
Uh, I don't know. I can't tell if there's – maybe there might not be much left up there at all at this point. <laughs> I get called Dr. Grandma a ton. We were joking around with a, with, a, with a few kids today because they can't say bees, and I get grandma all the time. <laughs> I just need Granny's little glasses and Tweety Bird behind me, a little bit of a wig, and then I'm good to go. Bye, I've got plenty of there. gray everywhere. So it's a, yeah, I should, I should know better, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, all right, so the tightrope procedure. It's not a particularly new procedure, but it's new in that it seems to be gaining favor among some orthopedic surgeons that feel like even mid-grade high ankle injuries are questionably stable enough that to maybe, you know, to tighten that ligament up a little bit by anchoring the bone at the bottom of the leg there with those tight ropes, just sort of taking, you know, a suture, so to speak, and, and stabilizing that joint um, can get players back sooner and can help rehab start sooner. A lot of the problems with that injury is that the, the two bones of the lower leg the ligament that holds them together is what's injured. And it's really hard to brace and tape that such that you can start rehab quickly. So part of this, and you, we, we just, I mean, we didn't bring this up, but the reason that ACL injuries um, are better recoveries now and so many of these others are that we're getting minimally invasive surgery, but rehab protocols that start right away. So a lot of the issue with ACL surgery that we still see from time to time is that there can be complications with scarring um, and difficulties with range of motion. And in the past, there was not really a lot of range of motion attempted for as long as a month after some of these surgeries and scarring happened and range of motion was an issue. And then you had to work from behind to get those injuries rehabbed. So that's part of the draw of doing this procedure this particular way is you'd prefer not to do surgery, but it allows rehab a little bit sooner. And I think the controversy, if it, if you can use that word, is that are some of these surgeries being done a little bit soon? Are they really necessary for players who might have recovered in three to four weeks as so many mid-grade ankle injuries do. But in a case like Tua's and others over time, Alabama's done this more than once, where it's happened toward the end of the season and they're pointing towards national championship BCS playoffs. If you can do anything to ensure fewer risk, earlier rehab, fewer risk of re-injury and um, better possibility of making it through the game at full strength within that four to six week period, then you can see why players might choose to go that route. I don't know that we're seeing a ton of that in the NFL yet. It seems to be, it's almost, I feel like most of the players we've heard go through this procedure have been Alabama players um, for whatever reason. So, you know, that's where the discussion is. Uh, I don't know. But what's the downfall? What's the downfall of doing it? Just I mean, if you could versus pretty natural much, I mean, rehab. Yeah, it's because, um, you know, we're hearing about it a little bit more, but you know, anytime that you open up the skin, that you put any sort of hardware in there in whatever controlled environment you can, you raise the risk of infection. Um, you raise the risk of a surgery failing. Um, and it's not, you know, anytime you can, inv- uh, you can avoid an invasive procedure, you would like to do that. We kind of go in the other direction sometimes where we say, well, why is it taking until March or April? Or why are we waiting until the last second to make a surgical case? When we say, you know, people, some, are choosing to have surgery as early as the end of June or July or January, whatever one of those J months is. And then versus players that are choosing, you know, we, I think we kind of had some concern with Cam Newton. He didn't have his ankle surgery until March. Why? Well, um, you know, you kind of put it up to the, the very last possible time where you can do it and then reasonably expect to rehab before the season begins. So it's, ju- it's just, you know, can we avoid an invasive procedure, even though the risk is relatively low? Um, you're balancing the risk of how likely do we think it is that rehab is going to be successful versus taking the small but still there risks of surgery itself. You just don't want to drop a heart on the floor. 
cleanup on aisle three. O-R-2. Yes. Yeah. OR2. You do not want to hear that for sure. Yo. Okay. All right. It's Dr. Gene Brammel, Cecil Lammy, Matt Mall with Sigma Blue. I you the, the first time I was in, I was, as long as I'm telling stories today. Yeah. Yes, that was please. the first time I was, um, and this is not HIPAA related. So and it was also 25 years ago. So no worries. But one of the first times I was in the operating room, I was, I was the student helping out with a leg amputation. And one of the things that you're not supposed to do is contaminate yourself in any way, thinking, speaking of dropping things on the floor. And so they passed the amputated limb off to me to take care of. And you usually put it in a, you know, it's essentially a biohazard bag, goes to pathology if you need to. But of course, me, my stupidness touched every part of that bag as I was trying to set the thing in there. So I, it wasn't exactly a cleanup in OR2, but it was enough that uh, I had my hind parts chewed out a fair amount and was told to get out, among other things. <laughs> okay. I did have a friend who dropped, uh, said that they dropped a heart on the floor in the surgery that he watched, and my stupid self was like, what did they do? He's like, they wash it off and put it yes. in the body yeah. and hope for the best, yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that would be one of those things where <laughs> that's a salvage situation for sure. All right. Salvage situation abounds. Uh, I hope I don't get my butt chewed for this question, Dr. Gene, but I have to ask you. Uh, it's almost like a three-parter, so I apologize because three-part questions are awful. One, are the coronavirus helmets real? You saw that picture of the bears floating around. Two, would it even work? Three, Dr. Anthony Fauci saying, you know, everyone in a bubble, tested three times a week. And then my question to you, Dr. Gene, and for sports fans, and, and again, you know, get into this as much or as little as you want. What do you say to people who are like, well, they've been telling us, like, don't wear masks, wear masks. And Anthony Fauci and the World Health Organization, you know, tweeting out, like, don't wear masks and then wear masks. And then what was it like a week ago where there was the 24 hour period? Like, yeah, if you're asymptomatic, you really can't pass. Oh God, no, no, we're totally wrong. So there's a lot of people that are saying, well, what is the truth? And again, what can we expect from teams this fall? If football does return, is it testing three times a week? Is it bubble, you know, cities for teams or whatever? Um, and then those coronavirus helmets, that's kind of going viral around Twitter. No. Uh, would those even work? That's that's a bunch of loaded questions there. So, yes, you know, hit me I in the back. No, you're fine. Hit me in the back of the head if I miss something. Firstly, <laughs> it is it is really disappointing to me that um, for whatever reason, and there are numbers of reasons that um, we mistake evolving, learning, um, appropriate understanding of science for mistakes or error. And I'm not saying you did this, but, um, for errors and mistakes and, and those sorts of things. And it leads to a lack of trust in our institutions. Um, and I would hope that as we go through whatever becomes of COVID-19 through the fall and winter months, that there's an understanding that this is a new situation and that with the best of intentions, what we may say at one point may change. Hopefully, because folks have taken the time to continue to look into things, continue to learn, improvise, well, not improvise, but improve and revise is what I meant to say. Combine those two together it does not equal improvise um, recommendations as we learn a little bit more. So with regard to the masks, um, I think in the beginning, the thought with the masks was, can a mask protect you? 
are you less likely to contract COVID-19 by wearing a mask? And the thought was, well, yes, in some, it's a barrier to you. Knowing that the mask is not preventing small enough particles to get to your mouth, it's still a little bit in those. It's still a little bit of improvement. And I think we sort of learned over time that there are certain masks that, you know, if you get a direct exposure to aerosolized COVID particles, the mask is probably not going to do that much. It is better than nothing but it may not do that much to prevent things. Whereas now the purpose of wearing the mask is we know that many, many folks with COVID are not symptomatic, but contagious for a period of days before they show symptoms. So, but you can be contagious at that point. So by wearing a mask, again, it is not perfect. You may still be able to expel some variation of aerosolized particles, but by wearing a mask, you are protecting others around you. It is not enough. So there's still some measure of physical distancing that needs to be done. And it cannot be seen to be a be all end all. And there are plenty of studies yet to come that may kind of refine that for us. And we saw some this week that suggested you can we might have a very good chance of 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 knocking back the reproductive number of this particular virus to something where the curve at least stays flat may not decrease, but if folks are wearing masks enough that there's less exposures as we go. And that's really the key with this is the fewer people that get infected, the fewer people that can affect, infect other people down the line. And that has been the whole point of, you know, our physical distancing, our shutdowns, our masks, all that sort of stuff from the beginning. So um, I think it is reasonable, very reasonable for folks to wear masks. I don't think it makes you weak in any way. I don't think it necessarily infringes upon your personal freedoms. Um, there are some people that are just not going to be comfortable wearing masks for lots of reasons. That's understandable. But for the most part, when you can do that, I think it makes sense. These helmets. I did not look specifically at these helmets to see whether or not they were a real thing or not. We've been hearing about wearing face masks under helmets, doing certain types of extended face shields and how that would work. Um, so I haven't looked specifically in it. I saw the Chicago Bears mock-up there. That looked a little bit better than what I expected it to look like. But I think heavy breathing players with a heavy mask or heavy face shield and um, face mask that's a, it's a, that's a complete covering in front of them, I don't know how well they're going to do with that, especially in warmer climates. I don't know that the NFLPA would necessarily be on board with that. We've heard a number of players say this is just really going to be hard for us to do. And, you know, there are some concerns about whether or not we're, you know, how much breathing recirculated air may hurt folks and that sort of stuff. There's really no issue with that as far as wearing masks go. But it may, you know, you see players whether it's placebo effect or not, especially in your neck of the woods, Cecil, um, using oxygen on the sidelines so that right. they um, feel like they can recover quickly. And we know that, um, you know, relatively low oxygen levels can have issues with certain types of conditions, be it asthma, be it um, sickle cell trait, those sorts of things. And again, I'm speculating here, but um, I think the helmets are probably real, whether or not uh, there'll be any sort of I doubt you're going to see universal adoption of this, whether or not some players may choose to wear them or not um, remains to be seen. I think it's going to be very difficult to tell whether or not they'd work for the same reasons that a face mask and face covering would work. Um, that may be helpful, but again, a heavy breathing, um, very close contact potential high viral load situation. I don't, it's not going to be a hundred percent effective. I wouldn't expect that to be the case at all. They're not putting, um, you know, they're not putting purified air respirators on over their entire head at that point. Um, so uh, we may see that help a little bit. But, you know, if we are playing NFL football 
on Sundays, um, those players are going to be at risk from close contact. It's just the way it is. And what you hope is whatever testing strategies, test-based strategies are devised to diagnose and isolate, um, limit the risk at game time. The risk is not going to be zero, however. Um, did I answer most of those? I feel like there was one thing I left out there. No, no, you got it all. You got it all. I want to ask Matt a question because what are – what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just had a check. I was like, "You remember when?" Yeah, uh, I remember we when old, we were old enough to, for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I was, I was just like, "Is what is Matt watching on the side?" So uh, <laughs> thank you, and thank you, Doctor Gene, for that uh, sage-like wisdom as always. You know, I, I think this is the time uh, for all of us to really listen. You know, take in all accounts and and really listen to our uh, our professionals. So uh, thank you for that. Sure. Yeah, and it's not political to say we should listen to people who know about things and have studied these things for their whole lives. And yes, like Dr. Dean said, sometimes we. Learn. I would hope it would not be political, but as so many things have become yes. um, on uh, all sides of the aisle, things get things get politicized um, for lots of different reasons. So um, what I'm sharing with you all is based on. Um, uh, research, uh, some understanding of virology and microbiology and those sorts of things. Um, what I've said to you guys for the last couple of weeks is, um, there are two certainties. One is that COVID is not going away, um, through the fall and winter months. Um, there are going to be positive cases and more of them as we go along. And you need to see this as an evolving situation. And what we talk about tonight, Again, we may learn more about and we may want to revise um, as we go. And, and I know it's it's kind of taken an easy way out to say the only certainty is that there is no is there is uncertainty to come. And that's what it is. You know, you mentioned Fauci a second ago, Cecil, and then had, um, you know, through the course of the day, uh, Dr. Sills, the NFL's internal medicine specialist and, and chief of um, medical officer. And then and then uh, I forget the name of the, the other person that was quoted as well. Say, you know, he's right. Um, and we're doing everything we can and we're starting to float some things where you think, but it's still an evolving process. We still haven't made decisions about protocols yet. Um, there have been some things that have come out about the NBA this week and we're starting to hear there was a little bit of report on Tuesday about some of the things that the NFL was thinking about. But even as those nuggets are being revealed by the NFLPA, I think was the source for some of those things. It's that's not been decided yet. And we're still six weeks from the beginning of training camp. So depending on how things progress, what's been decided as far as this is how likely are to test. These are the tests we're going to use. Here are our isolation strategies. That's going to look different. And it's going to look different probably in August, September, November, and beyond. And what we hope is enough players stay healthy um, that we can we can have a season, you know, without too much difficulty. I was um, uh, I wasn't expecting to hear what the NBA said, which was such that even after we get a player cleared to return from isolation, they're planning on having a two-week observation period where a player is deemed to be safe to, to leave isolation, but not cleared to play yet until they go through a, a cardiac screening process, which is interesting. Um, and, and it may be, um, very forward thinking as well with, you know, that we know that, uh, athletes sometimes have 
heart-related conditions that are undiagnosed. And we know that COVID, after a period of, you know, respiratory difficulty, many people seem to recover from that in some regard and then have some sort of cardiac or blood clotting event. So I, I thought that was interesting. And it, and it gives you an indication that, again, it seems like our sports leagues are on the forefront of devising lots of these protocols and are doing it with lots and lots of thought and research um, behind them and, and knowing that those things are still going to probably evolve and adjust is important. But um it was, I know everybody chuckled a little bit when we heard that this was a hundred page document that the NBA had put out and had to do with ping pong tables and whatever, but it shows you how seriously that the leagues are taking this. And I think that's good. If we expect to have a full season for any of these major sports, that's what's going to need to be, um, that's necessary for be thinking about that. I, I just have an idea that I'd love to bring up, just kind of have everyone answer if you guys are cool with this. But I'm thinking as we're hearing Gene talk about what some of the possibilities are, I would think that if these, the season goes on and it, and it plays all the way out, that we're likely going to have a high level of injuries. So, you know, I'm going to lead off with some ideas that I would want to institute in my redraft leagues or maybe even my dynasty leagues for this year that would account for the fact that we're going to have a high rate of people coming and going and maybe out for extended periods of time. Like, do you run waiver wire twice a week because of the fact that maybe the, um, the, the level of injuries and diagnosis could be high enough out there? Or do you expand your rosters, you know, and do you allow, or do you allow for some sort of tags there? So I'd love to know what you guys think just from the ideas of what Gene said that you might want to propose for your fantasy leagues to be like, to kind of account for the fact that this is an unusual year. Bloom, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, leagues. the two. Yes, yes, yes. Two things. Um, one is, and uh, look, when it's clear that we know how long the season will be and when it will start. In other words, no matter what the league's saying right now, it's not clear yet. We will issue our football guys official recommendations. Two things. Number one, you need to have something in place to crown a champion if the season is paused or basically ended prematurely. You need to have something to wind things up. It can be total points. It can be all-play record. It can be anything that you can track on your site or anything that you want. However, there's a chance that we may see the season pause and then not restart or or pause and restart so much later under such different circumstances that we just want to wind up our leagues. Number two, and, and the NFL seems like they might be kind of following suit here. Mike Garofolo, and this is great for us, you know, Cecil, Matt, with the depth of the study that we do, that they're talking about expanding practice squads to 16. They were going to expand it to 12, right. now 16. And Bruce Arians has already said that he wants to have a third quarterback that he's just going to keep quarantined, you know, just in case. Um, Cecil, you may get on NFL field yet. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, so likewise, now I think Matt's idea about expanding rosters is interesting. The one thing that I worry about if we expand rosters is that the waiver wire is going to be so thin that it takes that strategy away. What I do like is maybe words of six or eight temporary COVID IR slots that you can put players in and still retain the rights to them while they are quarantined for a COVID infection. So then you open up a spot. It's like a temporary IR spot, basically, that you can take advantage of that spot to plug someone in. However, um, you obviously, we're going to see this happen. 
I think Dr. Dean's been telling us this every week. Like, this is just what's going to happen. And he, he's a prophet. He's Nostradamus, you know, because now when you're 13 UT football players and Ezekiel Elliott and Kareem Jackson and so on and so forth. Um, so those are the two most important things. But I think you're right, Matt, that this is the conversation that we should have right now. Commissioners should be proactive. And uh, so that way, once the season starts, uh, we don't have arguments about these things when people say, wait a second, what am I going to do when on Sunday morning three of my players are ruled out that I was expecting to have? Right, or what are we going to do if the season's cut short and now who wins the championship? Right. And obviously there's dollars involved that uh, people will... And bragging uh, rights and belts yeah, bragging and rights, trophies. Belts, everything, and yeah. getting tattoos and having to stand outside <laughs> in like Speedos or whatever else people were doing. Right, flip the sign. Uh, <laughs> just be prepared. I would say expanded IR. I hear from a lot of people that either don't have IR, which is awful to me, or like have one spot. You know, it's very, very limited. So, you know, just be expansive, be ready, and be flexible. Uh, always do those stretches. Touch your toes, right, Dr. Gene? Touch your toes. You're doing a good job. You're being flexible. Can't do that either. <laughs> I don't want to stretch you. I was going to ask. From the window. Never could. I'll say that story for you. I did it. Oh, this show is quickly turning into Gene Bramble Chronicles. We've just got just. I want to ask you this question <laughs> as a as a a question of the moment before we we have to say I bid you adieu. Um, Colin Kaepernick. Let's go ahead and touch on all the hot button button issues of the moment. He hasn't played football since 2016. Uh, lots of talk that he's going to be back in the league this year. You know, I would say based on things we hear publicly, maybe some things we don't we hear off the record that he should be back this year. As long as he wants to be back, that's a, you know, we'll, we'll wait on that. But is there any reason to be skeptical of his ability because he's had such a layoff from the game now at 32? Probably not. Obviously, plenty of quarterbacks that are successful into their 30s, um, regardless of their strengths and weaknesses, pocket quarterbacks versus running quarterbacks versus um, decision makers versus, you know, any number of things that I think you can come up with examples of, uh, you know, as long as there's not a significant injury history uh, with an arm issue or a back issue or what have you, uh, and even some of those performers because they've been successful into their thirties, usually find ways to reinvent themselves to work to their strengths in other ways. I don't think there should be any issue there. I would doubt that that Kaepernick would be a player that would sign with the team and then come back not in condition to play and not being able to handle the duties of his position. So I wouldn't have too much concern with him at all. Um, outside what we would always have concerns about players returning to football after a period of time, whether it's just the off season or uh, a couple of years of inactivity, getting themselves back into football conditioning and avoiding soft tissue injuries. Matt, did you have one more for Dr. Gene before we let him out of here? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, actually, I mean, I, I think more than anything, it, you know, with the season just being the way that it so kind of up in the air, do you expect more soft tissue injuries with rookies um, or even just with players that when I see them training, they're like training in their backyard, you know, running the co- in, with the – different footwork drills and doing stuff like that, or they don't have exercise machines, so they're doing more body weight stuff. Now, I would say if they're doing more body weight stuff and doing it right, they might actually be better in shape than than what they do with those machines. When I listen to physical trainers who are like, you see all those machines in the gym that everybody pays memberships for? And you're like, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's just for memberships. That's not really for getting in shape. So 
you, you know, what are your thoughts about people who are doing like this kind of stuff at home? Do you think, do you have any theories about how this is going to help or hurt? I think there are two issues and they kind of go together. One is that teams have not been able to keep up with their players. You know, usually at some point, even if they aren't participating in drills, these players are coming through OTAs with the exceptions of holdouts and what have you. And they're having some measure of biomechanical testing done, making sure that their entrance physicals are reasonable and that they can be cleared. And there aren't things that might be not known to a player that they need to work on for one reason or another. And then that sort of dovetails into what may well be some sort of shortened preseason, whether it is um, actually a short preseason and number of days and weeks of practice, whether or not there may be a period of time by which, you know, we're doing less practices on the field. There's going to be less seven on seven, 11 on 11, because there's going to be some physical distancing that's extended to practices where you may see only positional groups work together. So you may not see that type of football conditioning. And if all that gets compressed into a shorter period of time, then yes, the, the rash of things that we would sometimes see early on in preseason or those first couple of weeks for whatever player, whenever they are cleared to return to drills, we're likely going to see at that point. So if that happens week three and for the final two weeks of the preseason, whatever that may be, then yes, I think we're going to see some there. Hopefully there's enough normalcy with training camp that those first two to three weeks of conditioning can be handled in some way by which even if they're not, you know, in full pads all of the time, hitting each other as frequently as they might have been in previous years, they can be in decent enough condition where, um, you know, teams and, and players are, are, are able to do that. What we may see with that regard is I would imagine you're going to see the full roster get used in different ways than previously where, you know, you may not see uh, every offensive lineman play every snap early on. You may see a little bit more rotation of bodies at every, not that that's not already happened on the defensive side of the ball, but um, you may not see players take nearly as many snaps as teams confirm that they are up to, um, up to, to conditioning. And, you know, they, if, if we don't have a whole lot of the offseason, they're probably going to want to see at some point what they have in these players that may be on the bottom of the roster so that they know who they can trust should one of their, um, you know, their regular starters and very important players go down to injury or illness that they're, they have a, a sense of who's able to step into what role. So that may be something we talk about as we get towards the end of the preseason. Are we actually going to see full week one and week two workloads as we would have in the, in the previous season? So yeah, I think we're going to see some injuries. Um, the time frame of that is going to depend on when players get back to work. So Gene, just, just a quick follow up. I mean, could you imagine like your, your childhood hero, David Fulcher, listening to you talk and say, but all you need is some duct tape and WD-40. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, See, fun. there we go. You got there me. You go. Yeah, right. Got him. We got him. <laughs> got him. Uh, by the way, I don't know if this is out there on social networking because I avoid most of that because it's very toxic. Uh, but the top of the league, the buzz is two preseason games. Yeah. So there you go. All right, Dr. Gene. Fantastic. Love having you on, brother. Love talking to you. Always. I'm the it's one that's not on here. I know. It's awesome <laughs> to have you back. Yeah, great this having you on. Oh, it's my first show this year. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know when I make it back before you do in the offseason. Uh, uh, thank you, Gene. Be good, buddy. Right, y'all. See ya. And there we have it. It is the Audible Live. See Salami Sigma Blue. Matt Waldman. Got about 15, 20 minutes left. And a couple of different thoughts coming in from 
uh, our chat room here. Chat room reacting to me. I'm glad I get to say that. And uh, Jimmy has a big one. Let's start with this one, Sig. Debo's yeah. out. And maybe on Pup, by the way. Who benefits right. the most besides Kittle? Yeah, and that's my basic take on the Debo thing is if he voids Pup to start the season, that's a W. Consider that a win if you draft him or if he's on your dynasty team, etc. I think it's probably Ayuk just because he maps so well to Samuel and what they asked Samuel to do last year, and it doesn't get you into the quicksand of the things that Ayuk can't do. Um, I think it helps Dante Pettis, or it accelerates him getting flushed down the toilet. Right, he should get more first team reps in practices. You know, he should have a chance in camp to show them, okay, whatever it is they're looking for—edge, toughness, whatever—that he's got it now. Um, it could also just accelerate their decision. We'll be watching the practice participation for Pettis closely, and then you still have to watch Trent Taylor come back from foot injury of his own, um, Jalen Hurd. Uh, you know, maybe it allows. Um, Richie James, yeah, Richie James to make the team. Uh, but, you know, maybe we're also overlooking Kendrick Bourne, too. Yes. Probably the right answer is Kittle is going to be the only guy you can count on from week to week. But they do start with Arizona. Um, I think they get a lot of the NFC East early, too. They, they get Arizona, the Jets, the Giants, Philadelphia, and Miami. So that's a good passing schedule. So it would be a shame for Debo if he is on the pup list for those first six games. Um, but I think we may see like one week it's born and then the next week it's, uh, you know, Jalen Hurd and the next week it's, uh, you know, Dante Pettis if he makes the team or something like that or Ayuk. Uh, so it may just be in this low volume offense. The right pivot is just to someone on another team. Matt, I was going to ask you specifically about Ayuk, uh, but then born becomes very inter- even more interesting than he already was. Yeah, I think he's more interesting than Ayuk because while I keep hearing the narrative about Ayuk being the Manuel Sanders equivalent because you can bring Ayuk in and they can run lots of slants and in-breaking routes to him, the difference between Ayuk and Samuel uh, or Sanders, and you know this better than anybody on the show, is that Emmanuel Sanders is one of the best wide receivers in the past 10 years statistically. And he also runs every route on the field and gets open everywhere. And so when Jimmy Garoppolo had to make those moments that you, you make those moments to like actually complete passes that mattered, um, yeah. Emmanuel Sanders was the one that was going to be open doing that. And I don't trust Brandon Ayuk to be able to do that yet with those types right. of routes because he can't get off press and he doesn't, he doesn't run the complete route tree very well yet. Kendrick Bourne does. So, you know, he may not be the athlete that any of those guys that Bloom mentioned are, but he's the guy that. Jimmy Garoppolo knows is going to do what he's supposed to do at the time he's supposed to do it and make the play. Um, so I'm kind of, I think Ayuk's going to have a decent season for a rookie, but not for a fantasy player. Um, and I, and you know, when we talk about Pettis, it is, it's whether he, he wants it. That's the big question. Cause like Kyle Shanahan said last year, and he's even said, we're giving him another chance this year because I'm not giving up on him yet, which is essentially if he, plays the way he's supposed to and works the way he's supposed to, he could be a star in this league. He said that last year during the time that Pettis was deepest in the doghouse. So, you know, you look at it from that perspective and there's folks like, um, you know, Matt Burroughs, who's kind of said, I think they may be giving him another chance, you know, that, you know, and he's a longtime beat writer. So we'll see. He's the, the biggest boom bust option there out of it. But, you know, for me again, yeah, you're right. Kittle's the guy and it's going to be probably a rotation with Bourne being that guy that fantasy players are like, 
they they pick him, and he may have one good good one good week out of four, and then you wish you hadn't, and, and because there's like three guys that you could have picked for other teams that were going to be better off for you. Bloom, how are you feeling about Dalvin Cook, and especially since you talked to Paul Charchian on the yes. Couch? Yeah, I mean, look, a couple of things uh, establishing in this conversation. First of all, fill people in again. If you didn't see Courtney Cronin's piece, it sounds like the Vikings came in under $10 million a year. They Cook Camp knew they weren't going to get McCaffrey $16 million. They said, how about fifteen? And then in her article, she said they would gladly accept thirteen. So, you know, that's a way to get it's something like out there. It's like a stars. Yeah. Like, right. The best I can do is ten. Right, right. Okay, I'll take thirteen. Um, so that's something to think about. She also pointed out that the Vikings four times have signed players to extensions on the eve of camp. Uh, Stephon Diggs, Xavier Rhodes, I forget the other ones. Um, so th- the time this could happen is right before camp. And I still think it's more than 50-50 that they find middle ground. Because this is a little bit different than Melvin Gordon. Um, the Chargers offense wasn't molded around Gordon's talents. The Vikings offense is, and I don't, this is no disrespect to Alexander Madison, but he's not Dalvin Cook. He doesn't unlock as much in this offense as Dalvin Cook does. He's a very good backup. He's really going to preserve a lot of what, when it's blocked well, he makes good decisions, good footwork and things like that. But he just doesn't add the extra mustard that Cook does. And there were some breakdowns of stats when Cook was on the field and not on the field last year. It's like 71% to 66%. Um, Completion rate for Cousins. He had 15 to 1 touchdown interception with Cook on the field, 10 to 5 without Cook. So Cook really is a very important part of their offense, the way that it is structured, which does give him some leverage. Uh, so I would still guess that it gets done. Uh, the injury, injury background is maybe the reason that they don't do it. Uh, but I do think this team is wedded to their blueprint and Cook is part of that blueprint. Um, and this isn't a situation like Austin Eckler last year, where even after Gordon came back, Eckler was the low running back one in PPR leagues for fantasy. Uh, Madison will go back to being not that useful if Cook does hold out into the season. So if we're seeing Madison getting up into the seventh, eighth, ninth round of drafts now, I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. Uh, maybe you do it if you take Cook sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, wherever he's falling to protect your investment, but I don't think it'll be necessary. Matt, what about Justin Jefferson in the slot? Because that's where he has to play. Because two years ago at LSU, it didn't work out so very well. And then last year, 109 of 111 receptions were from the slot. Adam Thielen usually is there. No Stephon Diggs. The Stalvin Cook thing. What do you think about the way Minnesota is shaping up here? I mean, I still feel okay about that team in the sense that, you know, Justin, we have to remember too that Justin Jefferson was in a different offense with a different quarterback too. Um, you know, before he ended up in the slot, you know, last year. Can he be pressed from studying him two years ago? Yeah. Do you feel he can? I think he can. But I also think that you're not relying on him to play against Patrick Peterson. You know, so like if he's, (laughs) if he's going to, if you're going to say, can he beat Patrick Peterson? No. So, you know, can Julio Jones beat Patrick Peterson? Yes. Can like maybe 15 or 20 guys in the league beat him on occasion? Absolutely. Jefferson's not in that 15 to 20 guys, but when you put him against off man or you put him against zone coverage on the outside or have him run some double moves off play action, he can win for you and he can he go above there. So there's use for him on the outside if you need him. But yes, he's best in the slot. You're absolutely right about that. Um, 
and he's unbelievable at being able to work open and find, um, you know, find that second area to, to break open into. And he does it as if like he has eyes in the back of his head to be able to find that open spot. Um, so I kind of dig that. It's just the, the thing is, is yeah, do they have a true outside guy, but do they really need one when you consider that this is a two tight end offense? where you can match up Irv Smith outside and use his speed and use his size and force maybe the, the primary corner to be against him or to be against Thielen. And, and you can do some things formationally to kind of like expand or compress the field, um, you know, pre-snap to, to set up those, those um, advantages. And in, in addition to the fact that all this play action where guys are just running across the middle of the field. Gary Kubiak, Cook. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're good to go. I mean, I think he's, I don't think Je- Jefferson has a high ceiling. Um, but I think he has the highest floor of the rookie receivers in this class. It's just that I don't think he's going to be the guy that you're going to look at and go, Oh, he's going to have a, he could have a 1700 year like Mike Thomas. No, I mean, he doesn't have the quarterback to do that. Doesn't have the offensive system to do that. But can he have an 1100 yard receiver, um, season, you know, in a couple years? Absolutely. Is he going to have several years between 700 and 900 yards and, and, you know, five to seven touchdowns? Absolutely. And that may not be like sexy numbers for fantasy football, but it's helpful. It's helpful when we hear from you in the chat room reacting to us. By the way, coming into Facebook, John says, are we looking at a lengthy holdout for Mixon? Bloom? There was a piece like two, three, four months ago that said offhand, I can't remember whose it was, that the Bengals are ready for a holdout. I don't know if it said preparing for a holdout. Um, you know, I, again, I think with Joe Mixon, this team may have drafted Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson two years ago thinking, well, hey, are we going to be keeping Mixon at the end of his contract? Um, this is a different Bengals front office though, right? They signed GJ reader. They signed Trey Waynes, you know, they spent in free agency. They have Joe Burrow now. So maybe they will keep Joe Mixon. They only gave AJ green a franchise tag. Um, there's nothing yet on the radar. And by the way, asking around New Orleans here with Kamara, same thing, nothing on the radar, nothing with um, Aaron Jones. Those are your three running backs who did not go in the first round, even though they ended up being first-round quality backs, and that's why this is an issue now instead of next year. Although, you know, um, there's always ways for players to accelerate these things uh, if they want, like what's going on with the Jets right now. Um, but I haven't heard anything to make me think that it's going to happen. I know that running backs are in such a tough spot right now. Uh, I don't think it would be crazy. And I, the other thing that's tough, to, and Cece, you might want to uh, chime in on this too, it's tough to navigate here is the new CBA says the players will not get an accrued year if they don't show up for training camp. Right. However, if you get signed during your holdout, that doesn't matter. Who cares about your accrued years if you get your extension, right? So it's an interesting game of chicken that could happen here with the teams. But I think the Bengals, unlike the Vikings who were close uh, to the Super Bowl recently, you know, they're not in a win now window where Mixon has a lot of leverage. So I don't think it would work. Um, I, I don't see any signs of it, but at the same time, right before the Dalvin cook news broke, I don't think anybody that was on anyone's radar. Mixon was on people's radar before cook as a holdout. 
possibility. So we can't assume anything. Take Giovanni Bernard in the 18th round. See what happens. Well, it is a Broncos show, especially when I'm on. So Dane <laughs> chiming in via YouTube. My co-manager loves Drew Locke. I have reservations. Any Lassie barks. And I love that Lassie Bark is now part of the lexicon. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you, Mr. Joe Rogan. Mr. Joe Rogan, can you turn out the temperature, please? Uh, okay. Lassie Bark's about Drew Locke. Uh, this offense is their identity now. And, Matt, I want your thoughts because Ocho Cinco's ranting and raving. I talked to TJ Hushmanzada yesterday. A championship that, you know, Ocho's like, they got three number one receivers. Mm-hmm. Judy could outperform Sutton. Maybe as soon as this year. And I love Sutton. I think it's tip of the iceberg with this kid. And, and I think he's continuing to grow. And what a great leader, a young leader for the Denver Broncos offense. With Drew Locke, it's all about him. There's no excuses. They got the coach that Fangio wanted. I mean, Rich Scangarello changed his offense, went four and one with Drew Locke and got fired. So Pat Shermer's this guy to bring in a more vertical system, something that will utilize Judy Sutton on the outside. That seems to be the general buzz. They will use both backs, which from a fantasy lens will give people ulcers. And then we have to decide what happens with K.J. Hamler underneath. By the way, Alberto Kawebunam is a hot pick locally to get more touchdowns than Noah Fant. So Noah Fant being a little bit on the hot seat is something to look out for. In training camp, not to say that he'd lose his starting job, but just to say that maybe some were disappointed at um, the effort being maybe inconsistent. That's the best way to say that. So in comes Drew Locke's college teammate, Oku Webunam, who sources close to the team say would have been a top 50 pick had he come out with Drew Locke last year. So, Matt, let's wrap a, a big red bow on this program as I'm on the air in 11 minutes. Uh, and let's talk about this Broncos offense. Bloom, obviously, I want to hear from you as well. But, Matt, uh, let's go. And, by the way, on lock, like 25 touchdowns, 3,500 yards. I'm not going crazy about what he'll do. Judy and Sutton, 1,000 yards receiving each. And this could be like 2013. Calm down. Not that good. But yeah. it could be where that team had five players with over 500 yards receiving. You know, Sean Moreno, Julius Thomas, Wes Welker, Eric Decker, Demarius Thomas. Well, they could have five over 500 this year, including Gordon, Fant, Judy, Sutton, and uh, did I miss somebody? Hamler. Hamler. Yeah, Hamler. No, I mean this is a fun. This is a fun um, offense to project for fantasy purposes. And let's start with Oku Webunam, just because I'm with you and with Broncos fans. I've been drafting him everywhere I could get my hands on him because. I think this is a great landing spot for him, not only because of Drew Locke, but it does, to me, signal that the concerns about Noah Fant may have a little smoke to it. Um, because this was a guy that at Iowa, you know, I heard a lot of talk from people and just watching his game, ultra-talented, great athlete, but the little things just weren't there. Little things were inconsistent. The you know, the things that kind of the thread that holds a game together and is kind of differentiates you from being an athlete and being a really good NFL player weren't quite there with his game on a consistent basis. So the fact that they bring Okuwebunam in. Who, who Locke asked for, by the way. Exactly. And is, and is getting over analyzed with his route running. He's actually pretty smooth with his routes. He's not, you know, a lot of people are like, well, if he can't drop his weight like a wide receiver and he can't run like a wide receiver, then he's not going to be a very good tight end. And I'm like, well, um, 
Greg Olson can't run like a wide receiver. He's been pretty good for a while. I mean, you, you know, it, it, there's some things that we get a little too wrapped up in, and it's like, can't, you know, you know, no fan can run like a wide receiver, but can he catch like a wide receiver? Can he, like, find the open zone like a wide receiver? Does he body up defenders like a wide receiver and actually make the, like a tight end and make the catch? Those are all things that Okuwebenam can do. And, and on top of it, Oh yeah, he's fast as hell. So it's like, you know, I think he, I totally agree with the thought that he could have more touchdowns or I have him projected right now with as many touchdowns as Noah Fant, both having three, but Noah Fant having 72 targets and Oka Webinom conservatively having 27. Um, so, you know, I look at it from that perspective. But then when you talk about Judy, I mean, look, Judy, I think will be the, will challenge for the receptions lead this year or be very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he may not have the yardage that Sutton has, because I think they're going to kick him inside when they have, you know, when they use three or four receivers, because they'll get the advantage of his intelligence of how to find open areas. So he'll naturally be targeted on a lot of plays that may be a little bit shorter and be Drew Locke's security blanket. So I have him at about 98 targets, 68 catches, 791 yards for five touchdowns. Pretty good year. For a, for a rookie. And Sutton, I still have leading the way with, you know, leading in targets, leading in catches just by two more than, than Judy at 70 for about 1,040 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, you know, and with Hamler, like I have Hamler at about 425 yards. So he's just in the range of 500. Um, and I think I can see how they'd use him outside when Judy's inside in multiple receiver sets. And then occasionally maybe put him inside in like say four receiver sets, depending on whether they're going to use Okawebanam, um, in the slot or outside on certain empty looks or four wide receiver looks. And as a replacement for Hamler, I expect Hamler to be a little more up and down. We're going to have moments where people are going to be like, Oh my God, he's great. And then other moments are going to be like, well, not so fast, you know? So, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I have Drew Lockett about, um, just under 3,800 yards. 22 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, good year, 63% completion percentage, and about 7.19 yards um, per attempt. You know, so not out of this world, but a good second step. Bloom, I've got you on a timer, brother. Okay. And I, and I apologize, but let's talk about this Broncos team. And is the hype real? It's real. Uh, I still think Melvin Gordon is maybe one of the more underrated players just because we expect him to lead the team in receptions, the running backs in receptions and rushing touchdowns. Um, we'll see about Drew Locke. Uh, I think that it's one of those probably we're one year early from this all really gelling, uh, especially with no offseason. But you see what they're trying to do with the draft class. You see the regard they have for Drew Locke. And if it doesn't come around and Cam Newton's not on a team, I'm just saying. And they have to do something about the backup quarterback. Oh, it's Jeff Driscoll. <laughs> yeah, that's a good the hearty laugh. A hearty great time from all of you out there. Certainly appreciate everyone. And, and I'll say this. Audience always helps us out, and the show helps us out. Brothers, mm. you're helping me out today. It's Liam's birthday, and he's in basic training. So I'm without my son on his 21st birthday. So it's it's been an emotional day. As, as Matt knows, when big things happen, when your son or daughter is away in the military, it, uh, it pulls at you, man. It pulls at you. So just thanks to everyone out there. Thanks to you guys for watching. Sigma Blue, Matt Waldman, Dr. Gene Bramble. I'm Cecil Lammy saying stay tuned and stay frosty, baby. Happy birthday, Liam.
It's a wrap. And that was the audible. Not in the face!